Now, Mark 4 is the same setting that we looked at last week in Matthew 13. So the gospel writers are trying to do different things. Mark gets there a lot faster than Matthew, but it's the same scene. It's Jesus sitting in a boat using stories, parables, to tell the people about the kingdom of God. He's laying down this spiritual truth to them. Many don't understand what he's saying. He's explaining it behind the scenes to his disciples. Parables about the kingdom of God, the purpose for his coming to earth, the the reign of God over all of the universe, and the invitation through Christ for him to reign in men and women's hearts. Mark writes, quote, Jesus uh, didn't say anything to the crowds without using a parable, as much as the people could understand. And and we saw last week that that the ability to, to understand the deeper implications on one's life had everything to do with the condition of one's heart. If your heart was open, soft, or closed and hard. And so here's Jesus teaching to the people, and they're confused. And then it says, uh, Mark continues, but when he was alone with his disciples, verse 24, he explained everything. Few people were moved by faith to believe. A few people were willing to take that step of faith and enter into his kingdom. A few people trusted Jesus, but most were unimpressed. Uh, Amazed, sure, astonished, but a message that that would hit them personally about his reign in their life? No, no, no. That was too much. And and can you blame them? We're talking about the carpenter's son. Uh, The the one that in his hometown he was rejected. The one where his family members uh, tried to like quietly, carefully pull him aside and help him go get some rest. Maybe he needed uh, a sleep if there was a place that they could take him. Do you know what I'm saying? That he needed some head examination. Who could blame the people? Here's this carpenter's son, this young rabbi declaring the kingdom of God is like this and it's like me being your king. Come and enter into my kingdom. Who could blame them? For the vast majority of them just just shake their heads in bewilderment. In these two stories that, that Joe just read, Jesus shows how something that looks small can be great. He tells these stories to encourage encourage his disciples for what's ahead. He knows what's coming. He knows the response that the people will have to his ministry. He knows how how few will will believe and and stick with Jesus. We see that later in the Gospel of of John, in fact, when he he starts explaining explicitly uh, the message of, unless you eat my my body and, and drink my blood, you have no part of me, and people are like, we're out of here. And he turned to Peter and said, what about the rest of you? They said, where will we go? You have the words to eternal life. But that was a very small number of people. Jesus knew that would come. He also knew what would happen through his apostles when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them. So what is the kingdom of God like? Jesus says it's like a farmer planting seeds. And goes to bed and gets up the next day and does it again and again, over and over again, day 
Days come and go, and suddenly, out of nowhere, they start to sprout and grow into a grain field. Verse 28, all by itself. In the Greek, the word there is automete or autometos, which is where we get the word automatic. Automatically, mysteriously, these seeds just start growing. They don't have, you know, studying science. I think I see Marin up there. She's going to be studying uh, some science in college, but they didn't understand where the, what was happening. They just knew it was happening. He says, Jesus says, quote, the farmer does not know how, but automatically they sprout and they grow. And he says, into a harvest. That would be an illusion if you want to do more Bible study. Look at Joel chapter 3. Look at Revelation chapter 14 of the harvest. It has a positive and a negative side to it that divides. There, there's the harvest of God bringing in. There's also the judgment that will come. Look in those two passages, Joel 3 and 14 on your own. And so Jesus uses this interesting short parable. It's only found here in Mark. The one we'll look at in just a few moments on the mustard seed is in, in three of the Gospels. This one is only found here in Mark. He's talking about unnoticed spiritual growth. The kind of unnoticed, subtle, overnight growth that his disciples should expect and that you should expect. If you are a disciple of Christ, you have been set apart by God for his special purpose. You have been sanctified. That's what the word sanctified means, to be set apart. Children of Israel were set apart. They were sanctified. The, the tabernacle was set apart. It was sanctified. Mount Sinai was sanctified. It was set apart for a purpose of God. And that's what the Apostle Paul meant when he says in 1 Corinthians 6, quote, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. You were set aside for a special purpose by grace. Automatic. It's happened. Something else has happened. I don't know. You are now, if you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are now a citizen of his kingdom, an adopted son or daughter, once and forever. In another sense, as disciples of Christ, we are being sanctified. We are becoming more and more like the people we are meant to be. We are, scripture talks about being conformed more and more to the likeness of Christ. And that's a day-by-day -day growing experience that, that's so small at times, we don't, we, we don't perceive it, we don't see it. But, but God says that is, that is also what's happening. And so we are sanctified, we're saved, but we're also being saved. And so the Holy Spirit that resides in us, we partner with the Spirit. We engage in growing in our faith. And so someone asked me this past week, Pastor Pete, what does it mean last week when we talked about a harvest of 160 or 30 times? What, what does that look like? What, what does that kind of, of growth look like? Or what does this parable look like in, in, in real tangible terms? And I thought, you know, instead of trying to speak in parables or, or more illustrations, let me just give you a real-life example. So I called a friend of mine uh, named Chris, who I've known for many years. Uh, we met back in 2001. And I called him on Friday because I had sort of 
lost touch with Chris, to be honest with you, uh, and couldn't remember the details of the story. I remember the big moment, and he, he calls it the crazy, crazy Holy Spirit moment. That's what he left in my voicemail when we finally connected. But I want to tell you Chris's story. Chris came out of the Navy. It's 2001. He went to flight school to become a pilot. He's 35 years old. That's a little bit of a late bloomer for pilots, but he's, in 2001, he's a uh, first officer in a small regional airline. He moves from St. Louis to Minneapolis uh, to live with his girlfriend, and he thinks he's got made in the shade. He's going to eventually be a, be a captain. Maybe he'll marry this gal, maybe not, but doesn't really matter. He's set, though. Did I mention what year it was that we met? It's 9-11. And Chris was the first one, uh, the last one in, first one out, right? He was fired from his job. So when we met, he came into the office with an application. I forgot if it was an application for support, what, what it was if he was applying for another position, but nobody was hiring, right? Nobody was flying, and no one was hiring. And that's the context in which Chris and I met. But Chris, in his need, in his need for, to figure something out in life, his world turned upside down, he started coming to Knox. That's the name of my, the first church where I served as a pastor. A couple months go by, girlfriend is out of there. Who would want to date an unemployed pilot? It's like, I'm out of there. Prefer you being in the air, now you're home, and you're eating all my food. Well, now I'm embellishing, but they broke up. Seven months, Chris is jobless. He starts to take steps of faith, though. We had Bible study every week. We'd work out, we had Bible study. It, it wasn't some big overnight wow moment, but we were just friends, and I was his pastor. So it was the first time I had that relationship of being a friend and a pastor to someone. And he began to grow in his faith. And eventually, seven months later, he did get a job again uh, in another small regional airline. And he was, again, first officer, making $18,000 a year. That's some, some serious dough, isn't it? <laughs> College students, that's not a lot of money. Just to... But in that time, he's continuing to grow in his faith. He's continuing to just engage and, and read and, and wonder and study his Bible. And then he meets Deanne. He says, P, I met this incredible uh, girl. I think it's a girl I'm going to marry. And, and so he meets Diane. I get to meet her. And she's a little standoffish at first. And I come to find out part of her story is her father had passed away that very year. And she was just not interested in anything to do with God. She had just decided, losing my father, that's painful loss. I don't have anything to do with church. But Chris convinced her to come. Come on, no, come on, let's go. Let's go to church. And he knew over time that this was the woman he was going to marry. And they together agreed they wanted to honor the, the ethic and the wisdom of, of Jesus that they would not sleep together uh, before they got married or lived together. And so we're, we're just cruising along, and I'm, I'm just doing my thing. Uh, I, I don't know all these things. He had to remind me of all these details. I'm taking notes on my, on my phone the other day on Friday. I'm like, oh, that's right. That, that did happen. I remember that. Okay, then this is the part. So some of this I've, I've, I've quoted to make sure I get it right. One Thursday night in December 2002, he wakes up at 2 a.m. Quote, like wide awake, Pete. It was crazy, crazy, uh, Pete. And he says, he prayed. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Now, this is not a kind of guy that would say that kind of thing. 
And in some way, in some form, he heard the Lord say, get up and go to the word. Chris gets up. He goes out to his living room. He finds a Bible. He opens his Bible. This is not a stewardship message, folks, but listen. He opens his Bible. He starts reading, and he's reading a text about money, about finances. We're already taking the offering. Don't worry. Don't, don't go anywhere. Just kidding. Quote, Pete. He says, Pete, I can't make a dollar to save my life. I'm 36, way behind other pilots. I know I love Deanne. I want to marry her but I wasn't honoring the Lord with my money. I was holding on to it. I was drawn to the Bible absolutely. So he told me that Thursday night, he stayed up all night praying and reading scripture and searching the scriptures for everything it said about money and, and finance. And, and, and he, he just, he says he stayed up the whole night and then he says, he started talking with God. What do I do next, God? And he heard he heard the Lord say, and don't, let's not get sidetracked. Like, what does that mean? He heard audibly. Well, however it was, he had the idea of fasting. This is Chris Amber. I wish you'd met him. This guy could, could eat like no one. He, he loved food. He loved everything. He's, the Lord tells him, fast. You want me to fast? Okay. So he didn't eat anything that day. He says to me, I wasn't even hungry, Pete. All day I just read and prayed and was thinking into Friday night, overnight, the same thing on Saturday, then finally Saturday afternoon, he said, Lord, what am I supposed to give? Give me a sign. And he said the Lord told him $3,000. Somebody do a uh, math major here, $18,000 a year, $3,000, carry the two, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. $3,000? Yeah, $3,000. He says he goes to U.S. Bank he remembers the teller. He remembers her beautiful smile and that she had a Nigerian accent. She was a, a lady from Africa, a, a Nigerian-American. And uh, she asks, what can I do for you? He says, I'd like $3,000 in cash. She pulls up his account. She looks at the number. She looks back at him. She's like, why do you need that much cash? And Chris, for the first time in his, his life, he just, just blurts out saying, I have this all of what happened. You know what she said? That's the Holy Spirit. He said, I think I'm having a Holy Spirit moment. She said, you are having a Holy Spirit moment. <laughs> and so she got that cash out. She put it in his, his hot little hand. And that's the part where I come in the story because I'm like that farmer. I don't, I don't know what's going on. But the next morning, more fasting and prayer. The next morning he comes with Deanne and he said, look, we should talk to Pete before the service because I shouldn't just plop that much cash down uh, in the offering plate. So he comes and he tells me the story. I'm listening like, Okay, this is a little weird. This is a little different. Until he says, I was, I've been fasting since Thursday. He said, uh, Pete, when I said that to you, you said, uh, hold on a second. And he said that I went and grabbed uh, John Kingery, one of our elders, to come and meet with him and hear the story again. And he, he said, so Pete, you said, I'm going to slot you in so the whole church can hear the story. So that's what we did. Chris shared his, his testimony right there. It was a little awkward. I mean, it's, it's money. You don't want to make a big thing about it, but the Lord was moving in his life. And I can't tell you exactly what happened after that moment, but I can tell you this. The giving at Knox Presbyterian Church went up and up and up. It was amazing. And that following May, May 10th, 2003, again, I had to check the date because it's not my anniversary, I married Deanne and Chris, it's May, 
Thunder Bay, Minnesota, you're almost in Canada, it was freezing, freezing cold. This little planting of a seed began to grow. Automatic, yes, yet also the engagement, the responsibility of a man of God saying, I need to make some changes in my life. Chris and Deanne now live uh, in Louisville, Kentucky. They have two beautiful kids, Jack and Kirsten. They continued at, at, at Knox. They continued to grow, raise their family uh, in the faith. Deanne's mom just passed away. They, her nickname was Mustang. She just died a month ago, and Deanne's heartbroken, yet she knows she's with the Lord. He said when they made a move from Minneapolis, somewhere between there and where they are now, the first thing they did is they, they got engaged in a church. In the first hour of going into that church, they signed up the whole family to go on a mission trip to the Dominican Republic. Can you imagine? And now I said, Chris, how's it going? Because we check in on Facebook. Well, what's happening? What's the latest? He said, Pete, I'm, I'm leading a home group with five families at our new church. He said to me, Pete, I took one of those spiritual gift tests and it said I have the gift of administration and service, but quote, he says, but my purpose is evangelizing people to Jesus. My path wasn't a straight line, but I followed God's plan and I am so thankful. It's all because of Jesus. So now he's a, a captain at, with UPS flying all over the world and he says it's his mission to witness to other pilots. He shared that 70% of pilots uh, in UPS are, are divorced. Some of them are on their third and fourth marriage. And he finds that the opportunities to minister to them, to, to be a marriage counselor in the cockpit. Not his spiritual gift, but he's serving the purpose of God. Friends, don't, don't miss this. Just because the word automatic is included in the text does not mean we do nothing to grow in our faith. Spiritual disciplines, we've talked a lot about them. You can learn more about them at the next environment. Say, oh, they're so hard. I mean, how, who has the time? They're not hard. They're new. It's something new, but it's not hard. Try it out. Maybe you've been praying for God to be obviously real in your life or for God to soften the heart of a loved one. Maybe you're searching for your own purpose. Uh, don't stop believing. Don't ignore the, the little hints of change and grace and growth and be patient. God promises. And what he promises, he delivers. Think of when Jesus spoke these first words. No one was called Christian. Now in the world there's... Almost 2 billion people that claim the name of Christ. So this parable teaches us growing in the kingdom of God is up to God, yes. Yes, and it's our job to believe and respond by living out our faith in the hope of Jesus Christ. If growing a seed parable is about the mystery of the kingdom of God's growth, the, the parable of the mustard seed is about the apparent weakness or or smallness of the kingdom of God. The, the kingdom of God, Jesus says, is like a mustard seed. And he says in verse 30, it's the smallest of seeds. And I know there's some botany major out there saying, mm, uh, Pastor Pete, technically it's not the smallest seed. I know. He knows. But in that culture, in that time, the mustard seed represented the small seed. It's as if I wanted to talk about the smallest thing and I talked about atoms. And someone here, uh, some 
physics nerds, and actually, Pastor Pete, you know, there are neutrinos, and there's quarks, like, no, just really, really small, okay? <laughs> Jesus is in this boat, and he's saying, I'm planting my kingdom, my kingdom that I'm announcing, my kingdom of my disciples that I can count on two hands. It's going to be the biggest world-changing, overthrowing, history-altering, evil-kicking, justice-giving, spirit-outpouring, life-giving, beyond your wildest imagination nation ever. And there's not even a, a, a response at all because everyone's like, what are you talking about? Imagine their response. Imagine the response of Christians who, name, who claim the name of Christ a hundred years later in their little hovels and house churches being being persecuted by the very empire Jesus claimed would be overthrown, hearing these words. And yet they believed. And that empire was surely overthrown. The mustard seed plant that represents the biggest of all plants and those branches holding little birds, the little birdies, represent those kingdoms. He's saying the kingdom of God is so big. These big, scary uh, empires, they're like little birdies on my branches. Imagine the response how unlikely it would be that the kingdom of God would come in this way. And yet history bears out the truth that the Savior's teaching was real. That he lived and died in what was considered a backwater province of an empire. He's only mentioned briefly by some secular historical uh, passages. And yet by Christ's life, death, resurrection, ascension, the kingdom of God has steadily grown. And his church is found everywhere. And when the church of Jesus Christ is suppressed and repressed, it only grows. And I corrected my notes. We only grow because that's us together in unity with our brothers and sisters who are facing persecution today. We grow stronger. There's no other explanation for the growth of Christ's kingdom other than it is the work of God through the faithfulness of his people set apart. So, followers of Christ, you are part of God's kingdom. You have been set aside for a very important purpose. Every opportunity you take to share about your faith, to share Jesus with others, you are a part of that kingdom advancement and growth. The tiniest bit of faith, when it's true faith, from God and in God has the potential and purpose to grow to immense proportions. So let's invest our faith and let's see the kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? The best is yet to come, people. The best is yet to come. The harvest is plentiful. It's right outside these doors. Let's pray. We praise you, O God, our Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The finished work of Christ is like, like a, a big, beautiful tree that bears fruit. The fruit of our forgiveness of sins, of our justification before God, our receiving of Christ's righteousness, our adoptions as, as sons and daughters, our facing down any fear, doubt, and shame all put behind us, our reconciliation to you, O God 
our reconciliation to one another, our sure sanctification, our, our serving as Christ's ambassadors in the advancement of the kingdom, our resurrection from the dead, our eternal reward, our enjoyment of new heavens and new earth, our witnessing of your restoration of all things. Oh, praise you, God. Make us fruitful. Bring in the harvest. Help us, oh God, to fulfill the purposes you have in and through us and through our church. We praise you, oh God, this day. We love you and we serve you in Jesus' name and all God's children said, amen.